Good day and welcome to the MacGyver Report, Wisconsin This Week. Whether it's investigating the newsmakers of the day, reporting on the truly important stories that you just won't see in the mainstream media, or bringing you the latest cloak-and-dagger capital intrigue, the MacGyver Report is here to keep you up to speed on all things Wisconsin. From our palatial offices right here on Madison's Capitol Square, we bring you the stories that really matter to you, the taxpayer, and give you our incredibly expert analysis and unfaltering insight that you can only get, or so we hope, from Team MacGyver. And now fueled by absolute fear from zombie legislation, <laughs> it's Team MacGyver. My name is Sam Donaldson, otherwise known as Matt Kittle, investigative reporter here at the MacGyver Institute. I'm Bill Osmolsky, MacGyver News Director, and if Matt seems a little subtle and quiet today, that's because I just poked fun at him for always screaming into the mics. <laughs> a monster truck rally, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday! We'll sell you the whole we'll, seat, we'll, but you'll only need the edge. We'll try to get him worked up, though, because we're going to be talking about some of his favorite topics, like... Minimum markup, alcohols are John Doe as always. Oh, don't get me started, Big Bill. Don't get me started. <laughs> oh, hang on. Just, you know, we'll get there in a minute. All right, all right. Measured, <laughs> so, measured. So let's go around the table through our uh, all-star crew here. Let's start. You could start off, Chris, even though, you know, I might have thrown you off. <laughs> this is throwing off the normal order of things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Chris Rochester, Communications Director. And uh, here oh, to remind oh. you, do, a, do us a big favor. Subscribe to the MacIver Report on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and SoundCloud. So if you're listening on our website, just go to the bottom of that page, and you should see links to all those. Uh, so subscribe, 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 and leave a review. And I'm Ola Lasowski, Research Associate, mainly focused on education and tax policy, and I am still thinking about the Olympics. I those are too. still going on? Yes. Oh, man, have you seen the, uh, the skeleton? I haven't been watching. I've been mainly focusing on uh, figure skating. That's a wild oh, yeah. ride, the skeleton. I gotta yeah. tell you, it's all—it's almost yeah. as—it's almost as wild as trying to figure out what the next uh, liberty constitution Ooh, killing legislation might be. I knew he would go there. I knew he would go there at the Capitol. It's wild. That was not bad, Kittle. It is silly well, season after all. Yeah, so now I'm gonna have to go uh, complete do a complete 180 here, and. Um, we're uh, going to start off with a uh, minimum markup, which we've been talking about for a long time, but it seems like it's, it's hard to get a lot of attention for this. And last week, we finally had a public hearing at the Capitol for, uh, that is a Representative Jim Ott and Senator Leah Vukmir bill. Now, it once completely eliminates minimum markup. This one was aimed specifically at merchandise and at prescription drugs. Um it was interesting at the hearing. It was very good that uh, we had a camera there because Wisconsin High did not cover it, interestingly enough. Interestingly enough, they, they covered the, the media was very interested in a cannabis, yes, we cannabis press conference, <laughs> but they weren't interested in minimum markup. Here, a minimum markup hearing that was so long overdue. Did they get one of those groovy shirts for showing up? I, you know, I, I, I saw a couple of the, you know, the local TV mic, uh, the mics and the, the uh, TVs there, but or the, the cameras there. They must have been handing out something. I don't know. Y what. You know, uh, seven years ago during the, the, the troubled times here in Madison, the chaos, the so chaos. I remember all the Democrat legislators on the floor wore like orange T-shirts. Yeah. 
You know, maybe they should right. start wearing tie-dye T-shirts on the uh, assembly floor. <laughs> With Yes We Cannabis as their slogan. No, that's a, that's a platform we can believe in. So, anyway, most of the people that spoke uh, in favor of the um, minimum markup partial repeal were from Walmart. A lot of store managers from around the area came and talked. Uh, I thought the pharmacists were the most uh, compelling. Uh, Walmart has a uh, $4 generic uh, prescription drug program is that is that part of medicare part d or is that just their everyday prices i i don't know but they they've got this program that offers low price drugs and uh, as we note in the article there the kind of the theme of the day was low prices everywhere except wisconsin Mm -hmm. yeah so they've got this four dollar generic uh generic drug program uh the problem is that that is often so that four dollars is often below cost so here in wisconsin they have to jack up that price and um a lot of the four dollar medications they have to sell for nine dollars here in wisconsin now five dollars may not sound like a lot to many people but uh when you're talking about multiple prescriptions you're talking about you know people who aren't always uh you know the you know uh, you know, low-income people. people and certainly people, people on, on fixed, fixed incomes. People right. on fixed incomes. Yeah, right. um, the pharmacists were telling stories about, you know, customers that would come to the counter. They'd have, you know, $8 thinking they were going to get, you know, both their medications on the $4 program and being told they, could, they couldn't get any of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but then again, the usual suspects are there at this hearing. The protectionists who are trying to keep the status quo of Wisconsin's antiquated depression, Great Depression era, minimum markup law, also known as the Unfair Sales Act, the usual suspects from the convenience stores and the Petro people and uh, the grocery stores in this state that have benefited and actually built business models around keeping prices higher. And, and what, did it, what, of course, do they say during the course of this hearing? Oh, if you, if you do any repeal, anything to repeal this antiquated law, we're going to have vacant, empty ghost towns of small mom-and-pop retailers out there. It's the same sort of fear that's being built into this. But what did Jim Ott say? I thought he had an, an exceptional comment about this. Of course, Representative Jim Ott one of the, uh, the co-authors of this bill, along with uh, Senator Leah Buchmeier, he said, you know, the people who enforce this law, the agency that enforces this law is the Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection. How are we protecting consumers when we have these laws in place that mandate retailers have to charge more than they need to or want to. Especially the consumers who need some protection, like the elderly on a fixed income. Why don't we actually listen to what Representative Ott said? I want you to think of the absurdity of this. DADCAP, a state agency that is supported by us, the taxpayers, everybody in this room supports DADCAP, and the legislature tells DADCAP, your job is to go to a retailer and tell them they have to charge us more for a product that they are willing to sell for a lower price. That makes absolutely no sense. I would also point out that the last two letters in DADCAP, CP, consumer protection. What consumers are we protecting 
by having a state agency do their job to tell a retailer they got to sell price uh, merchandise at a higher price than they need to or that they want to. So uh, Representative Ott put it very eloquently and, and obviously he's passionate about this issue. Uh, someone, you know, people from the pharmaceutical sector spoke to, uh, I think, a very compelling angle uh, is the pharmaceutical angle because we're, we're having this, this debate, this conversation over the cost of health care, the cost of drugs. And, you know, the, the folks on the other side of the ideological divide like to t- come up, you know, devise government schemes for supposedly lowering the price of health care. But this is one pretty simple solution to helping people on a fixed income. So we're going to, uh, we'll take a second to listen to some of what uh, one of the pharmacists had to say. $9. Well. That's the typical cost for a lot of the medications that are marked up. Doesn't seem like a lot, but I personally have had patients come up to me and so now they have to choose between their treating their cholesterol and treating their high blood pressure. Oh man, I really, I truly can only afford $8 this month. I can't get on. I would love for all of my patients to be able to take three month supplies with them so they could be more adherent, so they could take their medication as prescribed, so they could limit their risk for being hospitalized, for their condition worsening. I would love for those major changes to take place, but in the meantime, I want to have the ability to say, I understand you only have $8 this month. We can take care of both your cholesterol and your high blood pressure. However, I have had a patient say to me, I can only pick one. What would you like me to do? And I discussed with them, we can talk to your doctor, we can see what options you have. Ultimately, they decided not to take their cholesterol medication. You know, one of the other things that the pharmacists were, were uh, saying that really hasn't gotten a lot of, uh, has gotten even less attention than the hearing itself has, um, there's a way to skirt this law, and that's by ordering stuff online. Yeah. So, interestingly enough, all these people that are trying to protect their brick-and-mortar stores, they're all going to be, you're going to have, you're going to have brick and mortar, you're going to have small businesses, you're going to have big box stores because Amazon is just going to undercut everybody. Right. And if Amazon is showing a successful path to profitability, what do you think mom and pop are going to do with their store <laughs> along with Walmart and everybody else? That's a perfect uh, example of why this law belongs in the Dust Bowl era, in the Great Depression era. It's, it's, designed in a, in a time when you know were they even using typewriter they were using typewriters and 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 now we have the internet and all these different ways that the economy has been transformed and yet for some reason this law and legislators can't modernize Wisconsin for the era of amazon.com and just, the internet just think of the history here okay this bill comes out in 1939 Franklin Delano Roosevelt is giving us fireside chats on the new medium Radio. <laughs> and I'm not, not see, I, as a radio guy, I'm not here to suggest. Who, who, who is living in the past. Who is living in the past, <laughs> believe me, and off the grid. But as a radio guy, I believe in the power of radio, but much has changed since the fireside chat. So now fast forward that 80 years and see FDR delivering his fireside chat uh, in an, an online chat room. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Facebook Live. Facebook Live, exactly. I said online so, chat room. That's, that's so 10 that years ago. Say, that's, yeah. 15 years ago. still think I'm 1995, but, yeah. But, you know, so, and, and I, I heard that from, you know, from critics of this, free market reform legislation. 
And they said, well, what's changed since 1939? Everything. Everything. And that was my answer. Everything (laughs) has changed since 1939. Everything. Except this stupid law. (laughs) You know, fortunately, you and I were in there. I was... In 1939, you bet we are that old. I I meant in the hearing. Oh, okay. (laughs) Fortunately, we were there. Yeah. There wasn't much. You know, you wouldn't have seen this story anywhere else if we hadn't been there. And there are a number of these stories, as you will will know. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I guess I'm going to be beating up a little bit on Wisconsin Eye today. But, you know, the other really big hearing of the week, um, they they had their cameras in, but they didn't turn their cameras on. It was the alcohol czar bill, which the room was packed. They had to take one of the the big hearing rooms for that one. Um, There were a couple of the TV stations had cameras there for, for a little bit. But, yeah. The, the, another one that you would expect Wisconsin I to have the whole thing. But anyway, so uh, that hearing was about the alcohol czar bill. Um, Matt, why don't you walk us through this one, since I know you're very passionate about <laughs> <laughs> There have been a lot of bills that have come up, whether they be, and, and you, you, you folks know this because you've been reporting on this for the last couple of weeks, and as we've entered the silly season, you get a lot of legislation that feels pretty anti-free market. Right. It feels pretty anti-consumer. It feels pretty anti-liberty. And then you have, like, minimum markup, where you have legislation that is aimed at attacking 80 years of anti-free market law. Right. In this case, you have a bill that was forwarded, we thought was first and foremost mothballed back in June of last year. But we forgot the the kind of the cardinal rule of cronyism that it never dies. That's exactly <laughs> right. And it cardinal is cardinal rule of government and anything government really, tries to do, quite frankly. The cardinal rule of <laughs> horror movies and three out of five shows today, zombie television, <laughs> zombie shows, this is zombie legislation. Right. Now back in June, MacGyver reported that this draft bill was coming out that would uh, for one thing create this state government agency, a new alcohol czar, which would be somewhat attached to the Department of Revenue. The DOR already does this function, but apparently according to the lobbyist and some of the the lawmakers leading this, they don't do this function well enough, enforcing Wisconsin's antiquated and very complicated and very anti-competitive three-tier alcohol system. I need to jump in real quick. Uh So about the DOR in charge of enforcement, um, one of the more amusing aspects of this issue was there apparently was one guy at the Department of Revenue who was running the enforcement office for, you know, a couple decades, and when he retired... Nobody else could fill his shoes. So the state has completely <laughs> fallen apart when it comes to enforcement ever since. Well, Gene had big shoes to <laughs> yeah, fill. I, I don't know if the guy's name is Gene or Al or Frank he or tes- what. Yeah, he testified. I'd have to pull it back up. but I don't remember uh, his name. But this concept. guy, according to uh, some of the lawmakers who were pushing this bill, boy, you know, and let's call him Gene for our Sure. Old Gene <laughs> retires after a distinguished career of enforcing Wisconsin's anti- three-tier law and man 
everything just falls apart. Nobody's answering the phone over at DOR. That's going to really anarchy. warm your it is heart. Anarchy, if you're, yeah. a bur- if you're a bureaucrat, a lifelong bureaucrat, oh. and everything falls apart after you leave, that lot is that got to make you feel important. <laughs> think, think about that. How, how many bureaucrats can say, you know, when I left, everything just went to... No, just I'm don't sh- train your replacement. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. happens pretty easily. The, this one guy yeah. retires, this one guy retires and the entire state devolves into like, uh, you know, Hell Valley from Back to the Future Part Two, <laughs> biker gangs and burn barrels for Lord of the Lord of the Flies. You know, right. it's, it's uh, the, now they're starting to go after Piggy. Well, you know, we, yeah. we make we make fun of it, but I mean, it, this is as we heard from William Glass and his testimony. This is a, a regulatory structure that's just it's a it's a real burden. It ruins on, people's lives. Even the way it's enforced now, with no one answering the phones or what have you, um, it, it, it is literally preventing William Glass, who's kind of the face of bureaucratic, uh, you know, boot on, on the neck of a small business owner. Uh, you know, Matt, you, uh, you've been talking about his testimony and his story extensively. Well, well fortunately, though, the McIver Institute had a camera there while he, while he spoke, and so... You will hear it here, but nowhere else. So uh, why don't we actually hear it from William Glass himself? Um, as I said, my name is William Glass. I'm the president of the Brewing Project in Eau Claire. I also have the honor of representing nearly 100 small and independently owned craft breweries in the great state as the president of the Wisconsin Brewers Guild. In addition, I am privileged to hold the title of president for the newly formed Wisconsin Craft Beverage Coalition, which represents our breweries, distilleries, and wineries nearly 300 strong. I am here today to voice strong opposition to SB 801. I'd like to start by giving you a little background about myself. Upon graduating from high school, I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. After completing my final deployment overseas, I enrolled at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire in an entrepreneurial management program. While in school, my wife and I took all of our savings and invested it into a failing tavern in downtown Eau Claire. We were able to successfully turn the business around, and I am proud to say that we also played a role in the revitalization of our downtown. After a few years, I got antsy. As an entrepreneur, I just got bored and decided it was time for me to move on. My wife grew up in a family of bar owners and tavern owners, and uh, this business was something that she loved. It was something that's, uh, that she's comfortable with. So rather than sell it, we decided that she would keep it, and uh, we would transfer all of my equity and all of my ownership out of the business. We went through a process of legally removing my ownership interest from the business so that I could pursue another opportunity. At that time, I saw a gap in Wisconsin's craft beer market, which I knew I could fill. I did some background research. I built a business plan. I worked with attorneys and the Department of Revenue to determine the legality of a husband and wife operating independent businesses on separate tiers. After receiving what seemed like good legal advice and information from the Department of Revenue, I moved forward with the brewing project. In order to even apply for a federal brewer's notice, you must have a physical location picked out, a lease signed, and insurance in place. After checking all of those boxes and a tedious wait on bureaucrats in Washington, I received our federal notice. I immediately rolled that notice into my Wisconsin application, sent it into the Department of Revenue. After being asked to provide information and to prove that I had no ownership in my wife's business, we had and still have a marital property agreement in place enforcing that she is the sole proprietor of her business. I started getting nervous when officials from the Department of Revenue stopped responding to my emails and to my phone calls. It finally took contact in Governor Walker's office before I found out that I would not be allowed to obtain a state brewer's permit because she and I have children in common and that there would be a fiduciary responsibility between spouses that would constitute a bridging of the tiers. I suddenly found myself deep in debt with a rent payment and staff depending on my ability to make payroll. 
after going over all of our options, I had no idea where I would go. So we started looking at moving our business to the state of Minnesota. Upon telling my father about the situation, he asked if there was some reason why he couldn't take over ownership of the business. Ultimately, and I'll never forget this, I was driving to the grocery store to pick up milk. He told me that he would assume the risk as long as I never asked him to wear lederhosen. <laughs> so the next week, we began to transfer everything that I owned into his name so that he could assume the loan I had already taken out. We don't come from money. My father is a retired sheriff's deputy from Chippewa County living on his Social Security and his state pension. He turned 70 last week. Excuse me. This wasn't an easy feat, but we got it done. This forced us to have to completely change our federal notice before reapplying to the state of Wisconsin. When we resubmitted, we were again rejected because within the federal notice, I was listed as an employee and a key holder for the business, not an owner, as an employee. Excuse me. Then, after getting everything in order, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> get a little choked up when I think about my dad in this. Um, <clears throat> Damn. <laughs> not only could I not own the business that I started, I couldn't legally work for it either. Yet again, we went back to the federal government to have my name removed as an employee. Then, after getting everything in order, the phone call came in that the brewery would not receive its permit so long as our head brewer's wife was working as a part-time bartender. Yes, that's right. They were not going to issue a permit to my father because one of our employees' wives was a part-time bartender. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, a few weeks later, she gave up her job, and the brewing project was legal. Fast forward to today, I sit humbly before you, an unemployed man. Not only do I volunteer for our trade organization, but I also volunteer for a business that I dreamed up that I am not legally allowed to own or legally allowed to work at. This is the law of unintended consequences. This is what happens when legislation isn't thought out. My situation, I believe, is the result of decades of overregulation and protectionist policies put in place by special interests. I don't think anyone can give a good reason why I do not have the freedom to start and grow a business because of what my wife has chosen to do for a living. Now, nothing that was being said that day in the hearing, being considered that day in the hearing, would make his problem, would, would fix his problem. Uh -uh, no. He was telling his story because what they were considering doing would make things even worse. Absolutely. And so you now you create this agency, by the way, that has broad powers to arrest without warrants, first and foremost. The Democrats were really concerned about that, by the way. I'm positive. <laughs> <laughs> chirp, 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 chirp. Crickets, chirp, chirp. Um, and then you have this whole new agency and everybody from the brewers the the craft brewers to the distillers to miller coors says this is unnecessary and if you want to really fix the problem if you want to help guys like will glass you're going to fix the three-tier system you're not going to create an entirely new bureaucracy to deal with this but senator uh scott fitzgerald majority leader in the senate and some others with the uh call of the Tavern League and the distributors in this state said, no, we need more enforcement. And, and the senator stood up and he said, I keep hearing more and more enforcement. Everybody we have talked to says that's not the problem. The problem is the law itself. Here, here, are, some, here are some numbers uh, and, and to consider the political dimensions of this. So we have this law uh, or this proposal by Senator Fitzgerald. Um, the, uh, if, look at our Facebook 
the video of William Glass, this is a story that resonates with people. It's been viewed 18,000 times. Wow. The video itself has been viewed 18,000 times. It's reached almost 50,000 people. This is an issue of government abuse that resonates with the Wisconsin public. Now, we just talked about minimum markup. Uh, you want to know something else? that So here's they're trying to push a very unpopular bill that increases the government's ability to abuse people and take away the American dream of a veteran. Um, the minimum markup poll that, we, that was conducted in 2015 says people who know about or are informed about the law, 76% of voters disapprove of the law and want it repealed. So they're not going to do minimum markup, but they want to do this. Who, who's making the decisions here? I mean, and do they want to get reelected in the fall? I don't know. Well, the craft brewers also brought up a very interesting point to all this. Um, they don't have their own lobbyist, mm-hmm. which might have had some impact. On might this. have had a little, maybe. Mm. A, well, they will tell you over and over again, the distillers, the brewers, the, the craft brewers, and uh, the wineries and others. They were never invited to the table when all of this was being discussed over the last few months. When we thought this was mothballed, and I'll bring it back full circle. You know, this thing, uh, after a similar charge by free market advocates and the folks in these industries, uh, and quite frankly, if we can pat ourselves on the back, MacGyver, um, we, we were shining some light on this during the, the crux of the budget battle last year. And this thing kind of went away, and people assume that it went away and it stayed away, that it was dead. This is why we call this zombie legislation, because like zombies, the legislation of this nature with people behind it from special interest, this legislation never truly dies. And so now, on Friday of last week, we had what was supposed to be an executive committee. That a, was paper, going, a paper ballot. Yeah. So they weren't even going to meet. They were just going to vote like, right. remotely. And they were going to meet and vote remotely on whether this thing goes to the Senate floor. And uh, that meeting at the very last minute was canceled. But don't think for a minute that <laughs> yeah. this thing is over. We will continue to follow it at MacGyver. Yeah, there's still a lot of speculation over, you know, what are the different loopholes that they could pull to get this thing onto the Senate floor, even though the committee didn't pass it. But we'll see, you know, how that all plays out. Now, I hope you aren't uh, getting too tired of hearing Matt talk because... (laughs) I kind of am. (laughs) (laughs) We understand if you are, but we do have... uh, The next story is another story that Matt has been following since since the very beginning. Talking, of course, about John Doe. Uh, we have a judge up in Green Bay who has now been uh, uh, tasked with uh, taking up the John Doe uh, case from here to address these contempt of court uh, recommendations from the Attorney General. And so that's good news, right, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> everything is relative. Everything, like Southwest Wisconsin, everything is. <laughs> Relative. Uh, I want to get through this fast because I want to get uh, right into Ola's Armageddon update. I've said this uh, Mm -hmm. since we started this. That's my favorite segment. But I'll give you the quick overview. And yes, you're right. When we have this John Doe judge, by the way, the latest in a string of John Doe judges over the last four and a half years, Judge Kelly from Brown County, 
who says earlier this month gets a room full of attorneys, right, from the targets, the people who were totally abused in this unconstitutional investigation, to the people who abused them in uh, the prosecutors in Milwaukee County and the former agents at Government Accountability Board. And he asked all of these attorneys, what do you think my job is? I was, I was going to say, I've got his opening remarks right here, and that's... Uh... Who am I? Where am I? What am I doing here? <laughs> That's it. It's like it's like uh, hiring a new janitor and shoving them shoving them a mop, and he's like, "What do I do with this?" Yeah, and that's kind of the deal because it's a mess, no doubt about it. It's a mess. But the attorney general for the state of Wisconsin, Brad Schimmel, who had two representatives from the Department of Justice at that uh, court session, uh, wrote a letter this week, sent it to the judge, saying, "Here." You got a problem understanding what your job is. Let me let me explain it to you. Yeah. In the army, uh, the expression is, "Let me break it down for you, Barney style." There you go. <laughs> so that is exactly what the attorney general did, Barney style. And he wrote a letter, and that letter was important for two reasons. First, is he explained to the judge, "Hey, I'm going to point you back to the state supreme court in November of 2016. They settled this. They said you are the court of first instance. If there is a problem or a controversy that arises." from the what is supposed to be the job of the special prosecutor in this case to return all of this quote unquote evidence the stuff that they stole from conservatives in this state get that back to the wisconsin supreme court if there's a problem that arises and indeed there was of course one of the many problems was that um you know 1500 pages of documents that were supposed to be sealed and kept secret were leaked to the Liberal Guardian publication in September of 2016. And all of this private information is spilled out all over the place. So now we have these contempt of court charges coming up before the John Doe judge. And Schimmel is saying to him, the court, the Supreme Court already told you, you're the person who's supposed to handle this. We don't need 60 days to hear from all kinds of people. Just go back to the Supreme Court and what they ordered at the time. That'll clarify it for you. The second thing, though, the more frightening thing that we found out from the Attorney General's letter to this John Doe judge is there are still Dropbox accounts and other emails from third-party servers that were used to send this secret information, these secret Gmail accounts that were established by the special prosecutor, agents from the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office and the government, the old Government Accountability Board, those are still active. Hmm. Those are still active and they contain those materials. And, they and were, that's why these people are being held in contempt of court in a remedial basis. How, how uh, blatant is that or how, how bold is that, that they were ordered to stop viewing these materials long ago and they still have a Dropbox where they can just go in and view it whenever they want. It sounds to the reasonable person like, this is audacious. Audacious. <laughs> that audacious. was the word. That's the word. But as we have reported, and what we've learned over the last couple of months from the Attorney General's investigation, is that the former GAB and now the Ethics Commission and the Elections Commission, in their basement, they still have... I untold stacks of documents that are in such state of disrepair that they could tumble over and hurt somebody. Yeah, people going are allowed back to go to in there by themselves. Yeah, they're not allowed to go in there by themselves. <laughs> so they've got all these documents from these other GAB investigations, these secret investigations, going back to 1990. So this should come as a surprise to no one, but it is 
horrifying to think that the people who use this investigation as a political weapon would still have a channel where they could send information back and forth to each other that's supposed to be sealed. No, well, they wouldn't be doing that. No. <laughs> if, uh, if Senator Craig gets his way, then the, then the people responsible for this are going to have to answer for what they did. They're going to have to answer questions from the legislature under oath. Yeah. He's got his legislation. But he's got his work cut out for him. Quickly, I'll note that uh, as of last week, I talked to Senator Craig, and he's had very minimal co-sponsorship on a bill that would create a bicameral legislative committee to investigate the investigators because lawmakers, including uh, Republican lawmakers, so-called conservative lawmakers, say they don't want to really deal with this sort of thing now. It's, it's a difficult time. It's an election year. It'd be better to do it during the budget year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that is where things stand right now in terms of the John Doe. But I will quickly promote, we've got another story coming up very soon that will show you, the taxpayer, paying for, once again, the prosecutors <laughs> and investigators and their legal representation. Stay tuned. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> All right, well, speaking of taxes... And uh, your tax dollars at work. Welcome back to my personal favorite segment of the week, Tax Cut Armageddon. Armageddon. Yes. We you are doing you. Oh, you, you got to do it with Panache. the end of the world. Now, I was, I was, that was your cue. I was going to let you play with your effects. Okay, go for it. The end, end of the of world. 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 <laughs> Okay, that'll hey, give her that'll... some REM music while you're at it here. <laughs> uh, we're going more for like the Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, than we are the uh, the, the Independence Day. Uh. <laughs> so, so the news just uh, it doesn't it doesn't stop coming. Thankfully for people, it uh, does on the not tax stop coming. Front. Exactly. The latest news on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, also known as the end of the world as we know it. We have spent months now making fun of the Democrats for their ridiculous rhetoric about tax cuts from people will die to it's Armageddon to it's just crumbs. The Democrats have completely misread the American people's desire to keep more of their own money, putting their own love of just tax it no matter what yeah. ahead of reality. I like to put it as they really stepped on a rake with this mm. one. <laughs> oh, they, yeah. Now that's, yeah, now there's a visual. So as I've talked about before, Democrats are getting new signs that their language on this law is working against them. And the hits just kept on coming last week as a Valentine's Day poll from Politico and Morning Consult showed that voters are not feeling the love with this rhetoric. I hate myself for that joke, sorry guys. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. So the new poll shows that for the first time since last April, the president's approval rating equals his disapproval rating with voters split 47 47 in fact on average voters had a more favorable view this was shocking to me of president trump than they did of house minority leader nancy pelosi wow 39 percent said that they would vote republican if the election were held today that's a tick above the 38 percent who said they would vote for democrats which is down from a 10% advantage held by Democrats in December. That is a massive swing in just a couple months. That think, is shocking. Do you think the tax cut has everything to do with this? I think the tax cut has 99% uh, to do with this. Mm -hmm. Though, of course, if you ask places like CNN, it is 
solely because of the amount of money that the Coke network has poured into a pro-tax no, cuts no, campaign. Think... <laughs> but call me a skeptic. I think it has a little more to do with the fact that everybody likes a raise. No, it's because the Republicans are giving away all this free money here in Wisconsin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and so I think ultimately it comes down to Americans don't like being chided to and told that what they're seeing isn't real or that they shouldn't care about that extra money. I think they just see right through that. Um, you know, and to, to get more explicit, I think speaking of extra money, the, the tech company Cisco, not to be confused with early 2000s rapper Cisco. <laughs> uh, now, <laughs> One should never confuse the two. <laughs> announced last week that it would take advantage of the new tax law and repatriate $67 billion back to America this year. Wow, wow. The Silicon Valley company is the latest in a line of American companies that will bring home a mountain of cash that it has been holding overseas specifically because of our unfriendly business laws. Um, going down the list here, Dot Foods of my home state of Illinois, sadly, will distribute. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I know. We should have done a background check on you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Trust me, I know. No, she's just another Illinoisan trying to escape to the greener pastures. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is right. Dot Foods of Illinois will distribute distribute $500 bonuses for each of its 4,800 employees. Hmm. Ledestri Food and Drink of Rochester, New York, gave its 1,200 employees a sweet tree last week, an extra paycheck. Those employees got the news on Valentine's Day that their mid-month paycheck would be doubled. Crumbs. See, that'd be That's, nice. That's cool. That, that, that is cool. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Yeah. Middlefield Bank Corps, an Ohio-based banking company, is giving a $1,000 bonus to each of their 190 employees, in addition to increasing shared dividends. And to wrap up this segment with a couple slightly bigger companies that you may have heard of, uh, in a call with investors, the company PepsiCo... I've heard of them. Yeah. Wait a minute. Rings Look at this. I got a Pepsi oh. right here. Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, Are you uh, lobbied by yeah, them? That was an endorsement. Sell out. A celebrity endorsement by Chris Rochester. Uh. Man, you used to be rock and roll. Now you're just a sellout. <laughs> Call me Metallica. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So PepsiCo uh, will give $1,000 bonuses to frontline employees, plus future investment the company said it would make in in, uh, in the future. There will be some more details going out there, but that was just kind of the first word from a major investor call late last week. And finally, J.M. Smucker Company. That's right, the famous jam maker. With a name like Smucker's, it, it has, has to be, be good. good. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> we are a bunch of shit. <laughs> we're, we're gonna, let me, en let me enjoy this vitamin water zero. <laughs> we're, uh, we'll, we'll send the invoices out as soon as we're done. That's refreshing <laughs> and healthy. Okay, I have to co collect myself here. I'm, just, I'm thinking about Uncrustables now. Man, those are so good. My mom would those never let me awesome. eat those. They're so good. I'm thinking about Wayne's World, but I mean, that might be a bit of a dated reference at this point. <laughs> To your average podcast user, uh, you better believe yeah. it. I was I was waiting for Halloween last year. My friend was Garth. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, suburbs, we, Chicago suburbs. That's right. Yeah. yeah. We have been told to update our cultural references to something newer than 2000. So yeah. maybe we'll take that. I'm drinking out of my class of 1997 cup here. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're we're pretty much doomed, Bill. <laughs> All right, old guys. Let me finish this segment. All up, right, and then You guys enough. can talk about how old you are. Fair so enough. James Smucker, the famous jam maker, will give thousand dollar bonuses to about. 
5,000 employees, Mm. plus a million dollars in increased charitable donations, and another $20 million in contributions to employee pensions. Trickle down. All trickle down. The the, the, um, uh, contributions to, to charitable causes is something that doesn't get as much attention but you know a lot of there were articles about how maybe rightly so some of these nonprofits were worried about uh donation money drying up uh, you know because you know the government's not going to make it you know what what have you the changes blah blah blah. but the the, these corporations are putting more money into charitable causes and it's not always just because it's a good pr move i mean they actually do believe in, in certain things and so i think they're stepping into the void and and that's what I think the free market philosophy is, 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 is often about. When the government gets out of the way uh, then the, and makes more money available to companies and people, right. they'll step in and fill the void. But, but there's something bigger than that here, and I quickly want to touch on And you're right. They are, because they have more discretionary spending. They can do that, and they can, they can choose to do that. But at the end of the day, it's their choice. It's right. not the government's choice right. to come in and say, we're going to take a higher percentage for you because we don't think you're going to make the right choice. Right. That is the, the, the right choice is to get government out of the way. And then the business can make whatever choice it wants. And in a lot of these occasions, and you've reported on them for weeks now, yeah. we are seeing them make the sort of choices that do have dramatic impacts in communities. And that's great. Right. But at the end of the day, it is their choice. Just like it's your choice, the individual, to do whatever the hell you want with your income tax cut. Uh, maybe you can find more discretionary spending there to help out your communities, help out your church, whatever it is. But that's up to you because exactly. that is the American system. Absolutely. And I'll just throw in there that uh, the final, you know, the final group of people who hadn't yet, as of last week, seen the new withholding tables are now seeing it because that was right. the deadline was the 15th. So everything we've talked about so far is, is almost just spin-off effects of tax cuts where companies are voluntarily choosing to give their employees more in their retirement, bonuses, raises, raising the minimum starting wage for their companies. And now the actual effects of the tax cut, right. the direct effects of the tax cuts are going to be seen by everybody oh, yeah. by the end of this month. Oh, Ola, yeah. Ola, would you oblige me in bringing this shill fest back to full circle? With a concept like tax cuts, it's got to be good. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to write invoices with my paper mate, uh, Mirado Plastic Pencil. Well, so, you know, as we've kind of been saying, you know, it really is coming across like Democrats are not on the side of the taxpayers, but at least they're still on the side of the environment. Right, Matt? (laughs) Yeah, you bet. Well, there's an interesting piece that you'll find at MacGyver, um, at MacGyverInstitute.com. It was written by a gentleman who has seen the hypocrisy in the left-wing environmentalist movement and the cities that do a lot of dumping of things. Well, let's just say if you're eating your breakfast now, we won't bring up what the dumped material is but and I if think you're you listening and if you're listening to this on the uh, shore of lake michigan or along the wisconsin river know. after a, a nice little dip yeah polar bear <laughs> dip uh. <laughs> it's more than the cold you're gonna have to worry about <laughs> if you just if you're living if you're living stevens point just be careful that beach yeah exactly and we have you know even from milwaukee to um 
you know, Wausau, to all these different places. These cities are doing this. And the argument was, hey, we hear every time a farmer accidentally dumps, you know, a, a bit of manure into the, the system or gets into, into the, a stream, but we have hundreds of thousands of this yuck, this human yuck that is going into these places, and never do we hear anything from the mainstream media in general. If it is, it's a brief mention, a couple of paragraphs. Um, well, it's, it happens so frequently, it's, it's hardly news. It's exactly. Just <laughs> but isn't that an environmental catastrophe? Well, not, not, not in the, uh, the narrative that's being pushed out there. We actually did a MacGyver News Minute on this topic, and we'd like to share that with you right now. This is the MacGyver News Minute. Here's Matt Kittle. There's a dirty little secret shared by the environmental movement, cities, and many in the mainstream media. It's the different treatment on the question of, well, treatment that farmers get compared to municipal dumpers. Take the city of Wausau, for instance. On January 23rd, the city piped 3.7 million gallons of raw, untreated human feces and waste directly into the Wisconsin River. And it was no accident. The local newspaper downplayed the incident, describing it as a leak. How did environmentalists react? As Dan Ellsworth, president of Wisconsin Water Alliance, recently pointed out in a column, they didn't come unglued the way they do when a manure pit slightly overflows. No comments in the press coverage, no calls for protest against the local water utility. It's just one more example of how being a farmer in Wisconsin today is like being public enemy number one, Ellsworth said. Selective outrage. Now that's a load of manure. For more free market news, log on to MacGyverInstitute.com. So I think the, for me, what I see here is the real target of the environmentalists isn't the pollution. They're not worried as much about the pollution or the effects of manure spilling over a holding pond on a, on a farm uh, because clearly their reaction to the, the dumping of millions of gallons of sewage into the Wisconsin River uh, being nothing. I mean, it clearly indicates to me that what their enemy is, is the farmer, is the business, is the private individual. And, you know, when it comes to a municipality doing it, you know, and there's silence on that, they're clearly, you know, showing what their priorities really are. If they were worried about uh, some, some manure runoff from a farm, they should be hair on fire, angry over millions of gallons of sewage going into uh, a waterway. I think that's something we should all be concerned about and disgusted by, um, but they're not. I think you're right, and I think the silence is deafening. It's deafening. Uh, so uh, what's not deafening is the MacGyver News Minute when it's on WISN, <laughs> uh, News Talk 1130 WISN every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you catch that. Nice segue, you old pro, you. But now we're going to toss it right back to you so you can talk about your dental uh, partnership research. Right. Uh, so the big thing for me last week and a big thing for us because it's circulating the Capitol and making quite the impact uh, is the, the uh, policy brief we did in conjunction with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Uh, just real qu quickly, uh, I'll go over what dental therapy is. Uh, it's actually a new profession within the dentistry, uh, the, the dentistry industry. Now, there is a shortage of dental care in Wisconsin that not a lot of people are talking about, not a lot of people know about. Even some legislators who got our policy paper uh, last week were saying, well, I didn't know this was such a big problem. But in fact, there are 1.5 million people in rural areas in Wisconsin, uh, many of them in uh, federally designated 
uh, zones that have a, are, are defined as having a shortage of dental health professionals. 65 of 72 counties have a federally defined shortage of dental care. Uh, there are 138 of these areas statewide. I mean, those are big numbers. That's a that's 65 out of 72 counties, 1.5 million people, and dental care is is important. It's not just about having a bright white smile and and uh, you know not eating too much sugar or what have you. It's a it's a major health issue, especially for vulnerable people, you know, kids, the elderly. Forty. These are some very interesting statistics that people are who read this are noticing and saying wow i didn't know this is true 42 percent of adults in nursing homes elderly people in nursing homes have untreated decay tooth decay uh 52 percent visited a dentist in the past year just 52 percent and that's that's really terrible and now with children there are 550,000 children on badger care in wisconsin but 67% got no dental care in the past year, mm. and that's the worst in the nation. So that's the problem that some free market solutions are intended to address, and these are uh, circulating the capital. Uh, there's, uh, uh, there's several bills, but the, the one that this seeks to address is it would license dental therapy in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, dental therapists are kind of in between a dental hygienist and a, and, a, and the actual dentist. So they can do more procedures than a, than a, uh, a hygienist can, not as many as the dentist because they're not as, as qualified, they're not as skilled or educated. But there are things like filling cavities and performing extractions. It's kind of the basic stuff that you just go to the dentist for and uh, that maintains your, your oral health. So these, this would be a new level of practitioner that the state would license. And that's really what this does, is it licenses these people to, to perform and just gets, lets them do their job, uh, just like they do in Minnesota. So think physician's assistants only for dentists. Right, think of physician's assistant, someone who can operate under the general supervision of a dentist, which means the dentist doesn't have to be looking over their shoulder. I mean, these are educated people who go to school for this and pass exams and all this, so they're not by any means rogue practitioners or anything like that and here's what's interesting to me how many times have we heard from the left well just look to minnesota look to you got to look to minnesota they're doing it right they're getting it done in this case they're right they are doing it you right you can look to minnesota because in 2009 the minnesota legislature passed legislation in 2011 uh, we talked last week to the first um dental therapist in that state not only that, but the reports from many different sources show how successful the dental therapist program has been in doing what it set out to do. And that was to bring accessibility to the state because as the dental therapist told us, it was the same problem in Minnesota, right. same sort of gaps you're right. talking about. They've been able to fill, not all of those gaps, but they've been able to, to make progress in that end. And they've also given opportunity for people to pursue their dreams professionally. Those are two extremely important things, two extremely important accomplishments. Right. That's a, it's something that uh, folks ought to take into account, that if you're a dental hygienist and you want to move up the ladder, Going to dental school is an awfully big commitment. Mm -hmm. This is a way for you to advance in your career, 
to make more money without taking that giant leap. But it's not like it's a two-week training course right. at the TV repair program. You know? <laughs> no, no offense. And I know we have a lot of TV repair <laughs> listeners, professionals, professionals yes. in our podcast. We're going to be so. getting emails. Oh, we'll tell you like, or a chunk of our base. No, no doubt about it. So you just basically sunk this entire podcast. I think so. We have but, a, a big following. But no, this is, I mean, this is a, you know, a fairly involved program. It is. Where you're months upon months. Of, of training to get these skills to be able to assist dentists in you know in in this way and to be able to get this particular license right and as you mentioned uh, Minnesota authorized the licensure of dental therapists uh, back in 2009 and you interviewed Christy Joe Fulgerty who is an advanced dental therapist in Minnesota. She graduated in 2011. This is still a relatively young profession in Minnesota, but as she explained in your interview, which we're about to go into with her on News Talk 1130 WISN, uh, it, it's already addressing some of the access issues with dental care in Minnesota. So why don't we listen to that? We are making some ground up in the terms of access. We've been very successful. Um, our legislation requires that half of the patients that I see are either on public assistance or in some way are underserved. Um, we're finding that the reality on the ground is that most dental therapists, about 90% of the patients that they're seeing are fall into that category. So we're hitting exactly where we intended and we're doing it in multiple levels. We had a hearing uh, on this bill at the Capitol. That was a good sign. There are a lot of folks I'm talking to though that say, this, prob- this bill probably doesn't stand a very good chance at passage. There are a lot of special interests involved in wanting to keep this out. Uh, there have been a number of folks in the dental community speaking out against it. The Dental Association, I believe Marquette University is on record against this because of their dental program. Um, what kind of experiences did you have, do you recall, in the state of Minnesota when this was first proposed? Did you have the the kind of pushback we're experiencing here in Wisconsin? Uh, we had almost the identical pushback in Minnesota, and also I helped um, with Maine to get their dental, legis- dental therapy legislation pa- passed, and they found the exact same um, pushback. It's not surprising to me that the American Dental Association, who spent hundreds of thousands of dollars fighting the legislation in Minnesota and Maine, um, are fighting against it. I think people always stop and think that the American Dental Association, right, they approve our toothpaste, they, they, a branch of the ADA helps make sure all our schools are accredited so that we're getting proper education to be able to treat people. They see it as this benevolent organization. And what they forget is the Wisconsin Dental Association, the American Dental Association, the Minnesota Dental Therapy Association, they're professional associations whose mission is to protect the people who are their members. So the fact that they're fighting this doesn't surprise me. They see this as competition. We don't see it as competition. We see it as adding to the dental team and making things more profitable while serving more people. But there's that threat. And in Minnesota, the dental school here also had a dean who was vehemently opposed to dental therapy. Of course, they have a dental therapy program now and a dean that's very, very supportive. But again, you have to remember that people who run dental schools tend to be dentists, and they're very, very entrenched in their associations and their politics. And i got to be honest, most of the dentists that I know are pretty conservative thinking, so it's a little surprising to me that the the rank-and-file dentists who aren't in the political wing of their association don't stand up and speak out a little bit more than they do. And so she, wow, she was really articulate. She was, she's a great representative 
for the profession. And what she she just hits on really everything that our report talks about, which is, you know, in rural areas, it can be it can be difficult to drive an hour to see a dentist. Yeah. So what dental therapists and she works, by the way, at a nonprofit uh, children's uh, dental care center. Um, and she says she does a lot of the things that we say can be done in Wisconsin. They travel off-site away from the clinic to provide care at places like schools, uh, places like a, a home, you know, assisted living homes for people with disabilities, uh, nursing homes, and that sort of thing. So, and I found it fascinating what she said about the dentists who weren't on board with this right away. Sound familiar? Sounds familiar. They're, yeah. they're huh. not on board with it in Wisconsin. Huh. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Knock you over with a with dental floss. <laughs> but that's I mean Now that, why would that be, my dear well, Matt? Why might they not want dental therapists to be licensed? Let me break this down Barney style. Hey. All right. I love uh, that's you. Language I you love me. No, that's the wrong Barney. Um, no, this is really you got the you got the ADA across the country, now in Wisconsin, fighting tooth. And nail, excuse me. You are just full I'm of full, them today. I, I am full of something today. <laughs> but they are fighting against this. Why? Because, you know, their concern is, um, you know, what, what will this mean in terms of uh, their dentist, you well, know, for, in terms of their the, the people that they represent. And that's what, that's what Christy said, Christy Joe said. She said, listen, you, you have to take into account that we think of the ADA as you know this being there for the patients being there for the patients you know this benevolent group for patients and no that's not the case and this is i don't mean any disrespect here sure but their first and primary uh constituency is the the dentist right that's i mean that's what it is it's just like it's no different than Big labor, organized labor. Right. You know, in the in the teachers' unions, when we kept hearing about it's about the children. No, it's not about the children. <laughs> it may ultimately, in the end, at some level, be about the children. But your key constituency are your teachers. Right. So it's like the dentists have a giant pie. They don't want to share it, but they can't eat it all either. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, and this but is in, and they should know but that. But it's their pie. They should so brush after they are not sharing. <laughs> But, you know, and, and not to re- repeat Christy Jo, uh, her point, because she already made the point, but th- that th- they've, dental therapists have become a part of the team and are adding value. So they're That's growing right. the pie for dental practices in Minnesota. So she was asking, you know, why aren't rank and file dentists looking at the Minnesota example and saying, well, you know, this is, this is actually a good piece of legislation. And that's it. And the dentist, she said, came back five, six years later and said, you know, it's pretty good. This is allowing me to do the things, the more advanced things that I want to do, which, quite frankly, also brings in more revenue into my <laughs> business, into my pocketbook. All right. Um, well, so uh, just to throw in uh, into the conversation that there's dental therapy bills circulating in the Capitol right now. They both had public hearings, and so I think they're widely expected to be voted on in, in committee and probably make it to the floor shortly, which brings us to the action at the Capitol. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, thank God that week is behind us and we can just relax now. <laughs> uh, this is the only relaxation we're getting this week is sitting down at the table right now. Yeah. So busy week ahead. We got a couple, I think we got three floor sessions or... Yeah, I believe so. Right now, we're already scheduled for uh, Tuesday morning. The Senate is going. 
Tuesday afternoon, the assembly will be going. After they wrap up there, they'll be setting their also very long calendar for uh, Thursday, I believe, with plenty of hearings in the meantime. And these aren't snoozer bills that are mm-hmm. uh, that are coming up. We got some we got some interesting ones. We got some really good uh, pro liberty, pro free market bills. Oh yeah. And it starts early, uh, folks. I set your set your <laughs> clock. Uh, but we, I'll be over eight o'clock Tuesday morning because that's going to be the first of a lot of key hearings. What's that one? Civil asset forfeiture. That's civil asset right. forfeiture. And this we've talked about it on a number of occasions on this podcast, but that is a huge liberty issue because it right. it brings quite frankly due process back to the process of uh, law enforcement in this particular arena. This right. is one of those issues that I didn't know that much about before I came here, mm-hmm. frankly. Oh, it's and, fascinating. Uh, yeah, and I explain it to people and they don't really believe that this that that you can have your property taken away and basically sold off without even being convicted of a crime. Yeah, you have absolutely. to convince people that, that that happens and it does happen. Mm-hmm. And it happens to the extent that more uh, more assets are, are taken from people's possession over the past, I believe it's 14 years, I might be getting this wrong, mm-hmm. uh, by civil asset forfeiture than yep. by theft. Yep. Uh-huh. So this is a huge problem. Yeah. So it sounds like theft just perpetuated by the state. Theft right. by another name. There's yeah. a lot of that going around. That's also Weird. taxes. Yeah. Taxes. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. And speaking of taxes, to those of us who have been asking the question, where is the broad-based tax reform we have been waiting for? Representative Dale Kuyenga of Brookfield, CPA extraordinaire, may have answered that question. Now, last week the representative broke some major news with our very own Matt Kittle on air. Do you want to tell us about that, Matt? I certainly would, because anytime there's tax relief, I'm on that train. <laughs> now, this is interesting. Now, you can read the story at MacGyverInstitute.com. We broke that down on Friday. And like you said, Ola, we, uh, we had a chance to talk to uh, Representative Koenga. Um, he came on the program and said, you know, we've just basically had a few minutes left. And he said, well, we're just sitting down here working out the details on bringing back effectively Governor mm-hmm. Scott Walker's tax cut, income tax cut that was in his original budget right. proposal proposed last year. Last year yeah. It was jettisoned, um, mm-hmm. as you know, certain things were, but that plan would provide about $200 million mm-hmm. over the, the biennial mm-hmm. in tax relief. Um, you know, it would it would specify at the lower ends, right. lowering that by a, a fraction of a percentage sure. point. But you're still talking about more savings and you put $200 million on top of $8 billion over the course of uh, the last seven plus years. And you're talking about things that will have a continuous impact on the lives of average working people in the state. Exactly. And I think this is something that I'm always happy to see Republicans talk about here because you know, you know, whatever happens in November, if these houses flip the other way, you're sure as heck not going to have progressives coming back and trying to flatten out that income tax code. I, that's not something we're going to be seeing, right? And so our lowest rate of 4% for the poorest earners in Wisconsin is actually the fourth highest lowest rate. 
among all of the 33 states that point. have a progressive income tax system. Mm-hmm. And so this idea, like you said, originally proposed by the governor last February, would lower that 4% rate to 3.9%. The uh, bracket above, it would also drop by a fraction as well as widening that bracket, I believe by 25%. So that's you're going to so capture people who right now are paying, I believe, six, just over six and a quarter percent, bring them all the way down to 5.74 i just threw out a lot of numbers i'm sorry i get but that but that the broadening of the the widening of the one tax bracket i think is the big thing that's going to affect a lot of people because that that lower rate is going to pull more of their income down Mm -hmm. into a lower rate and these are people who are firmly in middle income uh situations these are people making 30 grand a year right and so that'll have that'll and and that that will affect a lot of people and when i you know when i talk to people about the other tax cut proposals, which will still be a thing, uh, you know, the child tax credit uh, or rebate look and, the, and the sales tax holiday, people look at that and they think, oh, well, you know, okay, that's good. It's good that they're looking to return our tax money. Sure. But this is the thing that a lot of people have been asking about. Why not tax relief for a much wider portion of Build the population? Build it into the base, exactly. Exactly. And so and I think in a way... On, not just on one day or not one rebate check, but every time you get a paycheck, you're going to feel the difference. Right. That's meaningful. It's like the, the tax package, uh, the federal tax package. That's meaningful. But I hasten to point out, and I'm sure Bill, uh, my good colleague... Uh, who is a, an old jaundiced reporter like I am, would point out, <laughs> is that there are always some winners and losers in every proposal. Mm-hmm. And we get there, and you'll see more details of the story at uh, MacGyverInstitute.com. But, you know, this is about, this, is, this plan is tied into conformity. We talked right. about the federal tax bill, the federal tax law, excuse mm-hmm. me, the changes therein. And they did bring significant tax cuts, but they also increased certain areas. Sure. Um, this is paid for by effectively picking and choosing what federal tax law changes that the state wants to conform to. Right. And this plan would include conforming to everything with the exception of four different areas. And a couple of those areas would mean that um, you're not going to get the kind of tax breaks at the business level that you would see if we conformed at the federal level. That means more revenue coming in, which would then be dispersed in the form of this $200 million tax cut. Right. This was a kind of a complicated topic going into it. Like, oh, there's so many numbers, and how does all these all these all these cogs work together? But yeah. I think that's about the best way of, of describing it. It is one thing that's important to mention, though, and this is part of why income tax reform is so important, especially in states like Wisconsin, that the vast majority of businesses in this state file as S-Corps or as other types of pass-through businesses, which means that those earnings aren't taxed under the corporate income tax law. They're taxed under the individual income tax law. So again, you win a little here, you lose a little there, right? But ultimately, we are just, that was just very exciting news on Friday morning to see that finally be be unveiled. Very interesting. And again, it's all tied into, as you mentioned, Chris, this package, the conformity issue, and then as we understand it written now, and things are subject to change, but it would include a sales tax holiday in sure. August. It would be tied into a tax uh, credit for people with children 18 and under who live at home. Mm-hmm. That would be a $100 check per child, and I'm told sometime in September. And that leads us back to 
um, why there is an urgency for these proposals. Because September, of course, is just a couple of uh, months away from something that's very important to Republicans and Democrats. (laughs) What's that? The election of 2018. And and when you go to cast your ballot, you'll remember, you know, the... 15 cents that you saved from buying those <laughs> pencils and pens and notebooks. So yeah. You know what I find interesting? Uh, drop minimum markup and save a lot more. Can, can't you, you wait, yeah, can't you just um, ex- forget about minimum markup? Just give me a sales tax holiday for a couple extra days. You That's know? a good story. That's yeah. a good story. Let's <laughs> compare the tax uh, sales tax holiday to what you would save on minimum markup. Huh. If they could actually truly discount like other states do. An idea was just born. Yeah, I find it interesting how uh, the the federal tax cut for middle income people has kind of spawned a new, another state level tax cut for middle income people. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you know, good thing, good news begets good news. Uh, you know, I'm sorry to say too, it's not going to be all roses this week either. Mm. No, I'm seeing you know reinsurance is on the agenda. Not too many. A lot of people aren't happy about that one. Both in the Senate and the Assembly, they'll both be taking up uh, uh-huh. healthcare reinsurance. Well, at least it's moving fast, right? Oh, it's yeah. moving fast. It's painful, but <laughs> yeah, it'll be over fast. The Assembly will also be. This is one thing that is already on the agenda for Tuesday night for the Assembly is that brand new allocation fifty. Million a year, the Rural Economic Development that's, Fund. That's fifty million dollars a year forever. Yes, going forward. Well, every we year. almost need the echo for that one. <laughs> do it again. Do it again. Forever. Nice. Uh, yeah, noticeably missing from the Senate calendar. Something tells me you've got a a couple holdouts there who may not be interested in that kind of ongoing appropriation. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but one thing the Senate is taking up. All those special session welfare bills, uh, UI fraud, something we've spent a lot of time talking about in the past, uh, asset forfeiture as well, a couple of, and the sparsity aid and revenue limits. Mm-hmm. So there's going to, yeah, there's going to be a lot of. Yeah, so kind of a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Some of the things I was looking at that caught my eye on the assembly, uh, I believe this would probably be Tuesday, is. Um, a dental, re- since we're talking about dentistry today, uh, dental reimbursement pilot. It's like pulling teeth to get you to talk about <laughs> Oh, God. Can I, I'm gonna, can I mute you? Where's the button? I tried that last week. It didn't work out. So uh, this is a, the, the dental reimbursement pilot would expand something that was previously done. Um, dentists are worried about not getting uh, enough reimbursement, uh, high enough reimbursement rates for people on medical assistance who are coming in for dental care. So this expands that. Just yeah, another... and, and just quickly, that's their argument. The, the Dental Association, their argument against, you know, the dental therapist, we don't need these extra positions. We need higher reimbursement rates. That's what they keep coming back to. Well, this bill begins to this bill, deal with this some bill, of those concerns. Right. This bill addresses that. And, um, you know, that what that doesn't do is get to the problem of there's not enough bodies in the room capable of, of doing the work. So uh, there's a lot of good movement on that. Uh, there's a bill by Mary Felskowski, in the, since we're talking dentistry the whole time, um, that <laughs> it's, it's similar. It's kind of a, uh, it, it's expanded function dental auxiliaries is what it is. But basically it allows dental hygienists to do more stuff by just by getting uh, approval from the dentistry uh, the dentistry board of Wisconsin. So um, that will accomplish to, in a different way the same thing that uh, dental therapy does. 
Um, it's an exciting time to work in a dentist office. Oh, lots of changes. <laughs> lots of changes. Lots of changes. Um, it makes me happier than happy gas. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty happy with yourself for that joke, Kittle. I am. <laughs> and speaking of healthcare, we've got direct primary care up as well this oh, week. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that bill we've been following for some time. I love this bill. I can't wait to see it get voted on. It's going to be a celebration for me. Um, <laughs> It, Exciting life. <laughs> right. Uh, direct primary care, as we've talked about, it, this bill basically defines that direct primary, in statutes, that direct primary care is not insurance because there's a little bit of a gray area right now. Direct primary care is an arrangement where you pay your doctor directly. There is no insurance in the middle. And it also launches a pilot program and a medical assistance program. I mean, this has the potential down the road to save hundreds of millions of dollars. So that's going to get the vote on the floor. Uh, Mike Rorcast Talent Attraction, that's the package uh, trying to attract more workers to Wisconsin. And then we talked about, at fairly good length, uh, Governor Walker's reinsurance program, which is another $50 million a year state expense. And uh, so that gets voted on as well. So we'll figure out something to talk, talk about next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All this, uh, this, all, this, uh, this could all be, this could, healthcare could be its own podcast. And I would love it. Should we do it? Well, we, we maybe like a, a solitary one. <laughs> Just me talking to the microphone. Just you talking to the microphone. <laughs> you can take the equipment home with you. Yeah. Then. Sorry, Chris. I'm busy that day. <laughs> Just a man on his own talking health care to himself. And then we'll have a supplemental dental podcast oh, for the health care. Wow. <laughs> and let's not forget Shannon Zimmerman's health care group, uh, self-funded group bill. Well, so, as, as our health, you? As our health uh, care correspondent. This is your time to shine, baby. <laughs> your time to shine. Be a busy day tomorrow. Mm-hmm. All right, well, um, hopefully everyone's still hanging with us, but uh, we're going to uh, wrap it up for this week. That's right. Uh, again, we appreciate you listening to the MacIver Report, and if you're listening on the website, you're a good friend, but you could be a better friend if you hit subscribe on all the aforementioned podcast and platforms. And you could be our best friend if you tell all your friends to subscribe as well. Exactly. That's You'll how these be our bestie. Work. Best is that a word? Right. I think that's what the kids are calling it. That's what the kids say. I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm hip on the lingo. Yeah. Well, party uh, on, Matt. Party on, Wayne. <laughs> that closes the books on yet mercifully on yet another MacGyver report where you're extremely charming and enlightened. <laughs> MacGyver team brings you the week's biggest stories and our exacting insight. We'll be back. Don't you worry, little guy. Next Tuesday with what we promise to be a life-changing podcast experience, or at least a cure for your insomnia. See you next week, all.